It's going to be the, the name of our next band, the Bomb Cyclone. Cyclones. I love it. Oh. Um, yeah. How are you? So, uh, doing okay? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Um, Holid- holidays to treat you okay? Not bad. You know, got an extra day. So that was good with the snow day down here. <laughs> this is great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, are you all, did you get snow? Uh, yeah, for we apparently like in Tallahassee as a whole, it snowed for an hour. We got 0.1 inches, which is, <laughs> and you lost internet. <laughs> yeah, well, then yeah, then oh, it's crazy. Yeah, um, after it was all melted, lost internet and cable. Uh, we got 0.1 inches, first measurable snow in Tallahassee since '89. Wow. Yeah. Bomb so, cyclone. Big day. The bomb cyclone. Um. Yeah, we we uh, we had like four inches in Sumter, which is a, a little small town about 30 minutes east of here uh, towards the coast. But we got nothing. Uh, but, you know, everybody was shutting down yesterday at noon, um, you know, because we got to go buy milk and bread <laughs> to make sure we have milk sandwiches as we do in the <laughs> south. Um, but, yeah, it, it was we, I mean. It was cold, but that's it. Uh, but yeah, everybody sort of east of here, like down towards the coast, like Charleston got hammered, which is kind of cool. They got like four inches, four and a half inches, five inches, yeah. depending on where you were. Um, and, it, you know, it doesn't snow in Charleston very often. So I, I think it's a sign of, you know, hell freezing over and Dante was right. You know, this is 2018. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're now in the ninth circle. Uh, so, But at least that means that Climate change isn't real, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, no, no, global warming, Thomas, global not warming. climate change. Global don't, don't, warming. don't let the liberals rebrand it. It's global warming, you know, because the climate's changing because we're getting closer to the sun and the sun's getting bigger. I mean, really, like at the rate that the sun's burning, then that means that you know it should have already burned the Earth by now, right, or something like that. Well, it's because it's a flat Earth. You know, because it's a flat Earth, we we reflect back the the microwaves back to the sun, and that's why it keeps getting hotter, and that's why we're getting hotter because we're retaining more of that heat. And if the liberals would just shut up and and let us, you know, use the oil, then we would sink back on a flat Earth. So we we would lose a few inches every year because we're taking extracting oil from the ground. Um, so the the fact that the president now has said unilaterally that you know we we can drill offshore off of any state especially new york and in california um you know that that's only going to help things speed up because you know i mean yeah oklahoma has a few earthquakes but but oklahoma's booming now you know with the, with all the 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 stuff that oklahoma is booming for sooners i mean they're going to the national oh, no no they're not <laughs> no they're not now there's clemson so i can't talk anyway big week um it's almost epiphany. No one cares about epiphany. But we care. <clears throat> we care. We're still I, fighting the epiphany battle. I, I preached on the epiphany <laughs> battle. It's Hashtag. the war on epiphany. Ooh, that's a, that's a show title. Um, yeah, I preached on that and how uh, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, uh, don't, don't put your chocolate in my peanut butter. Like, don't make sure you look up with my Matthew. Yeah. Like, either you have shepherds or... With no animals, because th- there were no shepherds. I mean, it talks about the shepherds coming, but they put them in a feed trough. There are no animals there. And I think Luke, of all people, would have said that there is a, a donkey or something there, right? Especially not a, a domesticated American Jersey dairy cow. 
Um, <laughs> and sure. Moo. <then, laughs> <laughs> it's got a bell. I love that. We have a zebra at our uh, nativity scene. Nice. But yeah, you know, just in case it's African. So you've got um, not to be normative. So you've got uh, you've got you've got the Lucan narrative, and then you've got Matthew, and and in Matthew you have the wise people, uh, which are kind of like the three stages. And we've done a show on this. I won't go back on it. So my mom texts me on Sunday. She was like, "How was your sermon after church?" And I was like, "Yeah, I think it went okay. You know, you know, people didn't clap or get up and cry or anything." It clapped at the after Mariana's sermon uh, at the same place where I preached a couple of weeks well, ago. That tells like, you all you need to know. You, you clap for her. You don't clap well, for me. Clearly, a better preacher than you. <laughs> She's like, "Yeah, love is great. Love is kind. Faith, hope." No. Uh, so, <laughs> and I'm preaching on Isaiah. So when um, you know you, you don't you don't make sure your looking narrative with your Matthew narrative because Matthew you get the wise people. Who aren't necessarily wise, they're kind of like the three stages. Oh, and my mom was like, Oh, so you, you preached on the wise men, didn't you? And I was like, Oh, thanks, mom. <laughs> Actually, yes, I did. Because she knows that's that's the, the drum I beat every yeah. year around this time. And, uh, you know, and I, I talked about Star Wars and I started with, like, What color is Luke Skywalker's lightsaber? No, no, I said, What color is Darth Vader's lightsaber? You don't, you don't even like Star Wars. What, what color is Darth Vader's, Darth Vader's lightsaber? Red. Red, right. And you're not a nerd. You, I mean, you don't know that. What color is Luke Skywalker's lightsaber? Green. Well, his second lightsaber is green, but his first lightsaber is? I have no idea. Blue. Because remember, Obi-Wan so. gives him the his dad's lightsaber, Anakin's oh, lightsaber. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's a trick question, right? So it's like, were there shepherds and wise people at the, at the nativity? No, like details matter. Let's get the stuff straight. <laughs> so the youth liked it, but yeah. Simeon. Simeon's an interesting interesting character in, in Luke. You know, because Luke doesn't have the wise people. So Luke has to have some way to get Jesus sort of covering the Gentiles. Right. Right. And you also get Anna, and then you get the Magnificat and the Benedictus and Luke. Yeah, I mean Yeah. The- and then Luke focuses on, on Mary much more than, than he doesn't even say Joseph, really, but Matthew talks about Joseph and everything's towards Joseph. So I always when you have a different genealogy in Luke than you have in yeah. Matthew, right? So Matthew opens with the genealogy, and its whole point is to say that Jesus is the son of Abraham. But Luke's genealogy takes you back not to Abraham, but past that all the way to Adam, all who the is the son of God, right? It's all the way to God, really. Um, and Luke mentions the women and Ruth and, yeah. Right. So, you know, so it, yeah, there is definitely, uh, there's a lot of differences there and not just the nativity aspect, but kind of the early chapters and how they're setting the scene for the story, which changes a lot of how you read the story too. Yeah. And I, 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 I get that we want to conflate those things just like we do Easter, you know, especially Easter. Um, and right, I was but like, you know what? Jesus had seven statements on the cross. They come from <laughs> multiple different sorts. Like, eh. That's not really how it works. And then after um, those statements, he's saying, um, always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> Such a great song. Uh, and I, I get that we conflate those things. And we, we've been doing that for thousands of years, going back to, was it Tatian that, that had a, a dietesseron? Yeah, dietesseron, yep. Right. Uh, but the idea of conflating those things really just, to me, like does such damage to the text. And... Um, I, I read way too much Raymond Brown. Forgive me. I saw that. 
<laughs> in exchange for this sermon. But he, he made the good point that the passion narratives were the first sort of proclamation of Christ, right? So like if there were early preachers like Paul roaming around the, the Galilean and Antiochian like countryside outside of Antioch, whatever, then these people, men and women, would have been uh, proclaiming basically the, the passion narrative or putting narrative around that that story. And it's not until later that we get the, the birth narrative or, or the nativity, as we like to call it. So he kind of says like that, you know, that's basically why we don't have a nativity in Mark. But then Luke, um, we, we have this weird nativity that sort of gets tacked on because you can start Luke and I forgot the chapter number, but basically you can start Luke at Luke three something and it says, you know, in the year of whatever Emperor Augustus, blah, 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 blah. And it, it, the sort of beginning intro does feel tacked on when you look at it that way. And he cites all sorts of uh, ancient gospel-like uh, texts that show um, how these kind of birth narratives around heroes were tacked on later, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but but it, it's, it's those kind of core... Uh, passion narratives that that really forms, you know, kind of the, the nucleus of what becomes gospel. And, you know, with Matthew and Luke, we get those expositions. John, we, we also have a kind of a nativity scene, but Jesus is, you know, from on high. He came from heaven to earth to share the way from the cross to the grave. <laughs> that is not John 1, in case you don't know, for those of you listening. <laughs> <laughs> from the grave to the cross. Um, Lord, I lift and, your name on high. Yeah, and we cannot call what John one has a nativity. Well, not 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 a nativity, but there's there's some somewhat of a creation. There's a, there's a, there's a beginningness to John one, right? In the beginning right. was the word. And the word it it doesn't just start with the baptism announcement from John the Baptist, right? Unlike Mark does, which is why Mark Mark's or the Life of Brian, right? Exactly. Which is why, by the way, in case you've forgotten, Mark won the uh, first inaugural. Um, massive thinking religion Bible bracket challenge, <clears throat> which is still our highest rated shows of all time. Can you believe that? And they weren't even that good. <laughs> I know. Like we really mailed those in. Uh, but anyway, so don't don't conflate your stuff. I mean, I get it. But even the passion narratives, they're all different. And and here's the thing for me why you know why I think it's important to read them separately because you get something different from each one. Right, whether you're reading it, you know, devotionally or confessionally or academically, or just out of interest for you know what's this text that people are talking about this time of year that I don't read and don't know anything about. Um, when you conflate them, they they become this kind of mishmash, and they become you know what you've seen in Hallmark movies and that kind of stuff. But it's not what the author or authors intended, and. You know, we don't necessarily need to get into a whole conversation about authorial intent. I was going to say, oh, but- shit, doll, can I open that door? <laughs> <laughs> I walk right through it. <laughs> right, because there's no such thing as meaning, et cetera. Right. But, but no, I, I still Not think true. that <laughs> there is something important about reading the text on its own and getting something out of that text and not reading the text and saying, well, yeah, but over here, it also says this. Right. So. It's, you know, your Star Wars analogy or say, you know, you can do it with Harry Potter or um, with Lord of the Rings or any of these, right? You can't 
read The Hobbit and say, well, we know that in Return of the King, this happens. So we should interpret this this way. And Tom Bombadil clearly has some stuff going on and you cannot conflate that. Right. So, um, you know, I I just think it's like, and I also think that, you know, for the Gospels in particular, and we've talked about this on the show before, the way you should really do it is you should read it in one sitting, just the whole gospel. Uh, you know, it doesn't take that long. You know, Mark might take an hour and a half or something like that. And if you can read it out loud, mm-hmm. um, because that's, that's, you know, how it was being circulated. Yes, it was written down, but most people were hearing this, uh, hearing these read aloud. There was no such thing uh, as reading to yourself in the ancient world. I mean, we right. talked about and this so, on the show. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, when you hear these things, when you, you know, I always use this, Mark is a great example because it's the shortest and it's my favorite. But when you say, okay, I'm going to read Mark one today. Tomorrow I'm going to read Mark two. Yeah, that doesn't work. A couple days I'm going to read Mark three. That's fine. You get some things, but when you read it all in one sitting, or you when especially when you hear it read or you read it aloud, you start picking up on little things like how often the word immediately, which is euthus in Greek, how often it shows up. Every other sentence, it seems like, and immediately he went here, and immediately he went to the other side, and immediately they did this, and it's just. It gives you this really kind of fast pace, like puts you on the edge of your seat, like what's going to happen next, right? It, I mean, it is like literarily, it's fantastic. Yeah, it, and it, it completely changes with like it a, completely changes the way you, that you that you take the text in. Yeah, exactly. That cut you off. No, go oh, ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, Luke does the same thing with like like the duality. You know, night and day, prayer and fasting, right. uh, Anna and Simeon, like all those things. Sorry. Yeah, so I'm just saying there there are things that you get out of it by reading a text on its own and also by reading it aloud that you don't get by the way that most people read the text, which is a couple verses at a time when, you know, their preacher says, All right, you know, we're gonna read from this text and they flip open the Pew Bible and they read it and they put it back in the pew and they don't look at it again until next Sunday. Um that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but you're gonna gain a lot. If you read the text on its own, so that then you can say, okay, we're talking about this. And it's interesting, um, you know, that the preacher picked that, this passage from Matthew, because, you know, what Matthew does here, you know, he's take borrowing this passage from Mark, but he makes these kind of minor changes, which tell us a lot about, you know, how the author of Matthew thought about Jesus or, you know, what he was trying to do. Um, you don't get that by a few verses here and a few verses there. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, in the lectionary when they kind of skip around sometimes. So yeah. I, I was preaching at a church and it was Isaiah 61 and it skipped like three verses. And I was like, man, screw that. I'm going to include that in my <laughs> in my sermon. So my partner, Mariana, just preached at that same church and, and it included that skipped version of Isaiah 61, which if, if you're following the lectionary and you're someone like us who actually, you know, sits down and reads things, you know, like like the lectionary as it's meant to be, that's fine. But she was like, oh, God, I can't, I can't believe you You preached on these three verses that I was going to preach on. I'm like, just include it. Like, it's, no, it's <laughs> right. a, you know, different take. But also, like, people need to hear that again. But also, like, don't, don't, like, I, I hate when the lectionary, like, splices the the text. And it's like, well, we don't, we don't yeah, need this. And there are, verses. and our listeners may not know, um, uh, the revised common lectionary is the most common one that most people use. But, but it does have options in kind of a thematic and then a continuous reading. So the continuous would take you through, and and the one you're talking about would be the continuous reading, even though they skip three verses, whereas the thematic might have you in Isaiah, then it might have you in Matthew, then it might have you in the song, right? It might have you all over the place. But the, so there's options between thematic 
groupings of text and continuous groupings of texts. Um, but a lot of times, even in the continuous ones, they will skip you know certain chunks. Oh shit! You know what we need to do? We need to make a thinking religion lectionary. You imagine how badass that would be. Okay, what what would it be? Okay, first of all, you have to go to patreon.com slash thinking religion. <laughs> to get early beta access. <laughs> no, dude, this is going to take some work. You got you to give us money for this. So if you give us... Uh, did we talk about this a couple years ago about doing our own lectionary We app? did, we did. But now, now it's going to happen. All right, so... We have so many good ideas, you don't even know. <laughs> what, what do you think, 25 bucks to get into the early... Uh, to get into early... You, you get a PDF of it. Or, or you can get a, you can get a, you can get a book. We'll make a book of it for you. We'll, we'll print it out and make it pretty. We have, we have a printing press here. Else, impressed. That's true. <laughs> you do have a printing press. Well, the partner does for a living. We have a way to do it. Wow, that that would be awesome. Thinking, uh, thinking. Well, we'll have to come up with a better name than thinking religion lectionary. Yes, that's a very good. A name. thinking lectionary. Thinking lectionary. So, so it'd be like those guys at Curious um, George Voice. What's the um. That Bible that they did a couple of years ago on the cotton, the cotton patch gospels. Yeah. People, they did a lectionary, um, ragamuffin, something, uh, something for the radical. What is it? Do you know what I'm talking I about? Know, I forgot. Um, I'm, I'm buying think, thinking lectionary.com is now ours. I've, I've secured the domain. We're going to do this and you're going to pay for it. Listener. Aren't you? Go to thinking doc, no, patreon.com slash thinking religion and you're gonna you're gonna get the right thinking lectionary isn't that a great name i don't know i gotta think on this one. i'm also trying to figure out what this other one is that i can't think of i think shane claiborne was involved wasn't he uh, i don't know who that is is that your computer something about ordinary misfits that was my phone yeah yeah people sliding into my dms well you do have an apple i mean it might blow up with the battery <laughs> Um, my phone's about to explode now. Somebody out there is yelling at us right now because I can't think of this. Well, that, that um, my wife, life. if she listened to the show, would be yelling at it. <clears throat> um, so, wait, wait, so uh, Bragamuffin. Ah, uh, there it is. A liturgy for ordinary radicals. Put it, put it in the show notes so I can link it up. Yeah, it's a common prayer. So it's the Book of Common Prayer pocket edition is what it is. So it's not a lectionary. Um, it's a prayer book. Um, but it's 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 uh, it's pretty good. Uh, I, I do think that a lot of our listeners would be interested. Yeah, in screw that. that. We just bought thinkinglectionary.com. <laughs> it's going to be huge. <laughs> not ragamuffin. What's it called? A, 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 a what? A thinking? Um, a liturgy for ordinary radicals. <laughs> There's no such thing as a radical in 2018. We're all complicit. Blood is in all, on all of our hands, as the gospel writer said. And that, who, who's that by? Well, I think Shane Claiborne was involved in it. Um, yeah, Shane Claiborne and Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, who actually does a lot of work. He wrote um, at least one piece for us while I was with uh, Marginalia. Um, he works a lot with... Um, uh, uh, Reverend William. Barber. Oh, yeah, Shane Claiborne. He's the guy with dreads, the white guy with dreads. Christian activist. Yeah. And <laughs> Sorry, I don't, right. don't want to be normative. Let's <laughs> pull up this Wikipedia page. Um, he is part of the new monasticism literary movement. Hmm. Yep. 
Uh, so he lives where does he live in um say he went to Wheaton. Never mind. Wheaton. Well, but but he's you know he's kind of obviously moved a little bit from that, but he's definitely in the yeah I think the new monasticism and definitely kind of a um yeah so he wrote Irresistible Revolution, which is you know interesting book. Um, January twenty sixth, uh, twenty sixteen, he released his first solo book in ten years, Executing Grace: How the Death Penalty Killed Jesus and Why It's Killing Us. He worked alongside uh, Mother Teresa. Not to be a revisionist, but you know, there's some stuff about her coming out. Um, he was in Baghdad at the time of the military. Well, when he also, um, you know, his thing has been like, you know, it's very kind of communal, right? We're going to all come here and live here together. I think he bought like a big warehouse or something. And, you know, a bunch of people moved in and they had, you know, all this stuff in common, kind of an Acts 2 type thing. Mm. Red letter Christians taking the words of Jesus seriously. Hmm. So, I mean, I think a lot of people like him. I mean, I, yeah, I like what he's doing. I, um, no, no, not, not gonna, you know, some issues. Um, but, but that's what I was thinking of. So I was like, oh, there's somebody did this, but no, but it wasn't a lectionary. But the question would be, why, why do we need another lectionary? He, he, Worked together with Tony Campolo to do Red Letter Christianity. Mm. Red flag. Red You're not flag. a Campolo fan? I'm not a Campolo fan. Damn it. I'm going to say hell, damn it. Anyway. Um, it is kind of yeah. his. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> no, I'm not a Tony Campolo fan. Um, I. Why do we need we need a, a lectionary that meets people where they are, but pushes them to be what they want to be? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> we need a lectionary that pivots on the synergistic flow of the gospels with modern life in a way that really transforms the normal, and it takes our everyday existence and really causes us to reconsider what it means to be a Christian in a way, in a way that is both affirming, but also challenging. Which needs some, you could, it's almost like you write copy. What I do for a living. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, we could do this thinking, thinking lectionary. Hmm. I like it. Well, one of the things you could you could do um, in an accessible way is pairing lectionary readings with um, readings from other ancient texts and from you know early commentators and preachers and things like that. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. a good there's a good series. Oh, this is what I have to do like once a show, right? I got to look around the library here. And so all my, you know, cause I've just moved all my, you know, a lot of my books are in a slightly different place on the shelves. So I've got to find where they are now. So I've got to look around the room and try to find the books that I'm thinking about uh, this series. Well, I mean, no- nothing gets people excited about the Bible, you know, like Old Testament parallel text <laughs> Com- <laughs> comparing uh, something from Oxyrhynchus to uh, Gospel of Thomas. People love that. 
I love it. <laughs> um, no, so what I'm thinking, I, okay, I can't think of the series right now, but it's like ancient Christian texts or something like that. That's not what it's called. But but basically what they do is it'll be like, here's the volume Wait, on early, early Christian writings. Now, what was that site that we were going to no. we do with it? app? Yeah, there was the early Christian writings site, um, which is not bad, but it's needs to be updated. Um, but this one would so it's like Matthew, and you're like, oh, I'm interested in Matthew five, you know, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So I can go and I can see uh, what did you know Jerome write about Matthew five? What did Chrysostom write? What did Augustine write? What did you know, et cetera, et cetera, like that. That that's how this. It's a whole series. Um, it's like ancient Christian commentary or something like that. Um, I just can't remember the exact title of the series and I don't have the whole series. So it's not as easy to pick out the library here as I look at the shelves. But anyway, um, so you I mean, you could do that with some ancient stuff, but you could also pair in um, other things, right? Uh, maybe more contemporary modern um, preachers and authors, what they've said, right? Maybe um, dropping some things that Malcolm X r- wrote or said, or that Mark always good at Malcolm X. Wrote. <laughs> Oh, we got to, you know, we're getting a bunch of different perspectives. We, we could crowdsource it um, with our Twitter following and say, like, hey, you know, yeah. don't, don't you want to contribute something about John 2? That's more of a devotional than a, than a lectionary passage. Right. But right. you could come up with a theme and say, like, you know, this month's theme is love. This month's theme is hatred, you know, or this month's theme is nativism, you know, whatever. And, and you could have someone who was kind of, Maybe sponsoring or or um, you know head, heading up that that month. So you know you could say like, okay, this Calvinist is going to do July, so it's all going to be about Bart. So you know what what text would Bart pull out of the Bible uh, to to prove Bart's point about how communism and and the Germans are the greatest people in the world, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. It's an interesting idea. Um, but you know, if we if we go in that direction, of course, then you're thinking about something that is not exactly electionary anymore, but that is more of a commentary. No, I mean, you don't have to expound on it. Just like, just like pull the, pull the, the text out. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still like, you're providing commentary on the text. No, no commentary. Just the text itself. You're, you're providing other people's commentary. No, no other people's commentary. Just, just the text itself. So it's like, you know, week three. And and you won't know it's about Bart Bartian communism, but it's about Bartian communism. And and as you read it, you're like, wait, what? Are we read yeah. Acts two? You know, and, and you have people in church reciting, you know, from the little red book or whatever, and you're like, wait, what's what's what is this? I see, I see what you're saying. I don't know. So you would actually you would expand the canon, is what you would do. I, I would say that you could take the canon. And put a put a flower in it, and that flower could be other text that uh, are applicable to those specific uh, text itself. So yeah, I mean, you could, you could have a Tony Morrison poem next to a passage from Isaiah, and they could reflect on each other. But you know, you would still have the stuff from the canon, as it were. But what is canon anymore? You know, I mean, nobody cares about that unless you're Anglican or something. And yeah. we're not going so to sell. We're not going to sell the Anglicans. This... Like we're going to sell the Protestants. Protestants don't care about the canon. Like they want to feel good, you know. So like we we don't even have to. We don't even have to apologize for that. They won't know. And their preachers 
probably went to a seminary that, you know, doesn't really distinguish between all that. This sounds more like a devotional. No, movie. no, there, 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 there's no, there's no. <laughs> it's okay. Let's read Isaiah 61 and then let's read this Toni Morrison poem mm, to reflect mm. on Isaiah 61. You're making me chuck my Miller light. There's, there's no combination of, of writing from the author. So let's say we get a post-Bardian communist to, to come up with uh, a, a week's reading that we're going to slide in there uh, about, um, you know, uh, communism. And, you know, you, you open up your, your thinking, uh, your thinking liturgy, you open it up and, and you're like, well, these texts are strange, but I can pick from either the Psalms passage here or this passage from Lenin, or I can pick from this passage from uh, Ayn Rand or, or this passage from, uh, from Luke. And, and then you just hop into it. Just, just like you would a regular, regular uh, lectionary. Because, I mean, that's, that's what every pastor does. Like, they open it up, and they're like, ah, I don't want to preach on Joshua this week. What, what's the gospel passage? Right? Well, yeah, but not every, not every preacher preaches from the But lectionary. they would if they had the thinking, <laughs> thinking lectionary, if they're Protestant. And, and they would say, like, this is a, a great collection of, of uh, passages from the Bible, mostly, but also with, with reflective text around that, with, with no commentary. We're not going to tell you what to preach. We're not going to make it easy for you. Like you, you still have to, you still have to preach. But you, do you know how many Baptist sermons I've been to? I know you're Presbyterian now. Do you know how many Baptist sermons I've been to, where uh, the, the the person uh, preaches on Tony Morrison or preaches on a Martin Luther King Jr. passage or preaches on uh, a William F. Buckley passage or something? Like the, it happens more often than you than you would think. And I'm like, no, no, uh, you know, the, 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 this passage from Pat Sajak's autobiography is not canon. Like, we don't really have to use that as a sermon text. But if you want to, I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, it sounds interesting, you know. Um, but uh, I'm telling you, we, we could have a hit here. You don't think so? It could be good. No, it could be good. Um, so it, it, yeah, it, it's kind of like when... Uh, Mm. I'm trying to think like well, on, on the Twitter the other night, I saw someone who was complaining about uh, complaining about people who were uh, uh, critical scholars saying like, uh, well, when, when you say Isaiah and, and the critical scholar replies back, which Isaiah? Ha ha ha. And, and that, that really grind, grinded my gears because I, I'm that person who says, you know, which Isaiah see the, the thinking lectionary could, could push you to have to examine which Isaiah you're talking about. Are you talking about, um, you know, the Isaiah in the Bible? Are you talking about, um, this is going to be such a good joke and I totally bombed it. What, what's the basketball guy's name? Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas, Isaiah Thomas. Or, you know, because I'm sure he's got some good quotes and, and you could pull that out and you could really make it awesome. <laughs> so it's just free association. No, no, it's got to be around a point, whether it's post-partying <laughs> communism okay. Or, okay. or whether it's around... You know, something like uh, uh, drilling offshore, you know, like. like or we can but, put but in you, like um, Highway 6. Exactly. Revisited. But you won't know what the theme is until you read the passage. We're not going to tell you what the theme is. That's why it's a thinking lectionary. You have to think about it. You, it it's, a, it's a construction. You and, your, you and your congregation have to read it together 
and come up with it. And that way, and that way, you can't just uh, you can't just pull one out and be like, yeah, I like Luke, so I'm going to preach on Luke two, like pff, Isaiah sixty one. Who's going to preach on that? You know. So you're only going to give one passage, one canonical passage, and no, then pair it with other no, passages. No, 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 no. I, I think we should definitely do you know something from the Torah, something from uh, the Psalter, something from the New Testament Gospels, and and something from the New Testament epistles. We can have all four in there, and and then and then and then throw in two or three uh, thinking pieces around it. But but you have to read the thinking pieces in order to get like what the theme is, because otherwise you're just reading like some random stuff out of Joshua and Judges that you don't. Want to preach on, and who but it might make you that? want to preach on that because all of a sudden you you, you read this quote from uh, you know Tolstoy, and you're like, wow, okay, well now now I want to preach on this passage from Second Chronicles. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it. It, it just, could definitely work. Yeah, it could work. It could work. Yeah, thinking lectionary. We have the domain now, so we have to do something with it. Like all of our other ideas, <laughs> we I was going to yeah, say, yeah, um, let, domains let, I've let's find your list of domains that you own. <laughs> I was going through my domains the other day with my accountant, and it was very embarrassing. I was like, "Yeah, that that was that was a bad idea with my friend Thomas." There's, yeah, I can't even count the number of you know post midnight messages. It's like, okay, I just bought. <laughs> You know, whatever.com. <laughs> it's gonna, gonna be, big. be huge. We're, we're gonna we're gonna totally redefine what it means to watch Netflix. Right. Exactly. By the way, did you see Pastor Mark Burns' website? Did you click on that? Yes. I was just looking at that what today. What is that? And it doesn't enough. work on mobile. Um Wow. Yeah. Can you I don't know how to get off the first page you that wants you to donate? Page. It's um it's the Is only that page. the only page? Uh, uh, the the, the uh, source. It, it's a Wix site, which is terrible. So Wix is a you know a, a web hosting thing. Look, people, if you have a church and you need a website, either slide into my DMs or go to something like Squarespace or WordPress.com. Even don't use Wix. So this is a Wix site, and looking at the <laughs> looking at the source of the page, like it, it's the 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 most terrible. Uh, source code I've ever seen because it, it's it's literally just uh, this picture in the frame and they've got it set to 100%. So if you try to look at it on mobile, it doesn't work. It's a video on, you know, it's him preaching, but it says Mark Burns. It says the only colors that matter are red, and white, it. and blue. And so I can't see the video because I have a ad blocker it. installed. And then you can donate. And then it says proudly created by JMB spacedesigns.org or jmbdesigns.org is not a jmb designs it's interesting he's from columbia Um, oh snap he's in my oh 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 no um it's jmbdesigns.net i don't want to shame this person because they're in my hometown and they're doing what i do for a living but uh Dude, JMB, like don't don't use uh don't use the Wix. I mean, congrats on getting that account. That's a huge account, I'm sure. Anyway, I shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't get too much further down the road there. Um so we'll cut all that all that out and post. So 
so the question is, why did Ivanka Trump follow Pastor Mark Burns on Twitter today? Not this website. Um, I think... <laughs> I think because... Um, I don't know. Why? I mean, why would she? I don't know. Was it today? It's interesting. It was today. Huh. Maybe he's going to be the next uh, Steve Bannon. Mm, maybe. Who, by the way, in case our listeners haven't heard, um, looks like he's getting forced out of Breitbart because of his big public feud with Trump. But of course, you always have this question. We were talking about this today. Um, is this all just a big yeah. publicity stunt? You know? And that's, I think that's the problem. I think that's what happens to a lot of people. I mean, it's happened to us, but a lot of people are really cynical, right? Where they look at our systems, they look at our politicians, they look at, you know, media, they look at churches, and they say, you know, everybody's in it for themselves and we can't trust anything. It's all fake news. And so I'm just going to turn it off and ignore it all. There's nobody good that's involved in any of this. Which then I think turns off people uh, that are good, right? That that maybe should get involved in, in those uh, institutions that you know that could do good work. It turns them off um, because I think the systems are just you know completely corrupt and and you know maybe not even worth saving, right? Or you know it's not worth your time to get involved because it's so it's going to drag you down too. Yeah, and, so, and I, it's just that's really disappointing to me because I, I've said it a lot. I've said it on the show before. Right? I, I don't think that um, we should put ultimate trust in our systems um, because our systems will not save us. But I do think that um, we can do really good through our systems, right? Through our institutions, through our churches, through our government, through our media, through our. Um, uh, higher education and um, you know K twelve educational systems, we can do really really good work, and um, you know I think that the the increasing polarization uh, that we're seeing is turning people off, and it's you know people are retreating a lot to their corners, but in doing so, they are, I, I think, um, you know, feeling like there's like you can't change it. Right, it's so broken, uh, and it's designed to be broken. And it's you know nobody is looking out for the little person, so to speak, the average Jane and the average Joe. Um, but instead, you know, they're in it for the money, they're in it for themselves. Um, and so, yeah, so we don't get involved. We don't give our money to our charities and to our churches, or we don't get out and vote because we you know we don't really think that our vote matters anyway. Um, you know, we don't support our, um, you know, local institutions. I don't know. I, I just think that, I think there are a lot of um, kind of snowballing effects to the distrust that we have in our institutions. So what do you think could change that in terms of just the national dialogue? I mean, do you think it's going to be an election? Because I mean, even if I would say like, say the Democrats sweep in in 2018, um, that's not going to change. In my mind, that's not going to change any kind of trust about national institutions or, or national dialogue of, of, you know, what what's 
important for our democracy in terms of getting quality people in to run? Yeah, that kind of thing. Like, what's it going to take in order to change the narrative? I think it takes time and I think it takes hard work, uh, which a lot of people are not willing to invest. Um, But I think it takes, you do have to get some good people in there and um, they've got to do the work of, you know, cleaning up and you've got to be transparent in um, an actually transparent way. Um, And you've got to improve your communication and you've got to not have your communication be only about scoring political points. Um, And I think you have to do this at the local state and national level. You know, it can't just be something that one politician does or one party does. I think it has to be something that, you know, everybody works to do, whether in a political institution or, or, or not. Uh, and so I think that this means that, um, all right, the Obama administration was very transparent about a lot of things and they touted their transparency and they were more transparent than a lot of other administrations had been. But there are a lot of ways in which the Obama administration was not transparent, um, and, you know, I, I, I don't think that hurt. I don't think that helps trust when you tout yourselves as the most transparent administration in the history. And then there are, you know, kind of real tangible ways where you actually, you, know, you haven't been that transparent. Maybe you had great reasons for it, but it's still just, you know, it, it gives into, you know, it gives fodder for the narrative that is easy for people to accept right now, which is we can't trust our institutions. And, and so I think you do this with little steps. I think members of Congress need to have um, more time in their districts. I think that they need to spend time, you know, don't just go to a diner for a photo op, but actually go and talk to your constituents, Um, you know, meet them, sure, where they're eating and go to the library and, you know, meet them where they work and, you know, actually get to know the people um, that you're serving. Um, maybe spend as much time with them as you spend with the people who are, you know, funding your super PAC for starters. You know, that seems just like a kind of a basic thing that our, you know, some of our national politicians can do. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's a long, hard road to winning back trust for these institutions. Um, but I, I really think, it, you know, it kind of boils down a lot to transparency and communication. Um, and the ways that you that you treat you know your constituents, if you're a politician, the way that you treat your readers and your listeners, if you're in a media organization, um, that you treat them with basic decency, that you treat them as if they can handle the truth, um, you treat them as if they're uh, smart enough to you know understand. Right, because the, the Apple example is a good example here. Right, they're taking all this heat over the battery stuff. If they'd been up front from the beginning and said. You know, put in their fine print or whatever they needed to do, but to say, you know, in some situations when batteries are aged, you know, this can happen, and sort of, you know, combat that. We're going to make sure that our phones do this thing, so that you don't have these, you know, random shutdowns, um, and so that your phone will still perform well, um, though it will be a little bit slower than it used to be. Um, but that's better than the alternative, which is not performing at all, right? But they didn't think that apparently their customers could handle that truth, and so. They said they didn't do any of that and turns out that they did. And now they're taking the heat for it. Right. Uh, and, you know, so I, I just think it's, I don't know. We don't give enough. Um, we don't give uh, voters and, um, you know, readers and listeners enough credit, I think, right. To kind of form their own opinions and, um, 
And I think oftentimes we're scared that we'll give them the data and the information and they'll come to a different conclusion than us, uh, which is why a lot of people are scared of people not like them voting. Um, and I, you know, that's kind of what democracy is all about. So I think that, you know, we tout a lot um, that we need to, you know, a lot of the, a lot of those of us who are Democrats will, you know, tout, and I think rightfully so, that we need to push against voter suppression tactics. And I think we need to be involved in that wholeheartedly and pushing against, um, you know, gerrymandering our districts and, and all of those things. But I also think that, you know, there are some people on the left that I've talked to that, you know, when you start saying things like, you know, every single person should uh, be automatically registered to vote and voting should be a national, you know, federal uh, election day should be national holidays, period. You know, we need to do everything we can to make sure that every single person in this country can vote. Um, you get some on the left like, well, let's hold on. Actually, you know, if we had, you know, fewer, you know, older white people vote, then we might have more Democrats. That, but that's you can't get into that game. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, we, just, we don't trust uh, a lot of politicians don't trust the voters. Um, and I don't know. I mean, there's, you, you can't expect them to have trust in your institution if you don't trust them. So do you think that um, w- w- with that concept of trust and transparency, those two themes that you, you brought up, do you think people can successfully run a campaign using those two things? in an age of, of Trump? I don't know. I think you got to try, right? <laughs> um, I mean, whether somebody could w- run a campaign on that and win on that, I'm not sure. It probably depends on where they are. It depends on, you know, what they're running for. It depends on what the local issues are. Um, but I, I, I think that these are things that, that cut across a lot of those, um, a lot of those spectrums, right? You know, this is important at the local state and the national level, um, I think. And I think this is something that both parties are suffering from. Right? Neither party is immune to this. Um, and, you know, whether that's a winning message, I'm not sure. Um, it just happens to be what I think they should be doing anyway. Right. So, you know, you should probably, you know, running on it's probably not a bad idea if that's, you know, what you're, what <laughs> right. you should be doing anyway. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know, not not to be cynical, but I just want to worry that that's such a, you know, idealistic picture of politics at this point. But not not saying that it can't be redeemed. No, I mean, I I think you're right. I think that's where a lot of people are. Um, But the question we have to ask ourselves is, is do we really think that this experiment with democracy has been worth it? And is worth fighting for. I think that's the question we have to ask. And for for a lot of people, you know, maybe the answer is no. Maybe we'd lo- we'd like some other uh, institution, you know, some other way to do this. You know, maybe maybe that's what we should do, and you know, maybe we should talk about that and have those conversations. Um, frankly, I think that the response that a lot of people have had to uh, the Russian election meddling has shown that maybe they don't think that our democracy is really worth fighting for. And, and I think that's sad. Um, but, you know, if, if we really do believe that this is the best way that we should govern our country, maybe not necessarily tell everybody else in the world how they should govern theirs, but we think this is the best way that we should govern our country. Um, then we got to actually try to do it. 
Yeah, I, I just I wonder. And not not saying it's it's a privileged thing to say, you know, democracy is great and we should, you know, really push towards that. But you know, in our current state of things, I mean, it's clear that there are, you know, communities and and groups of people that aren't represented as well in democracy as they should be in 2018. So when we look at like gerrymandered districts in North Carolina and South Carolina and Georgia, um, or, you know, we look at the, the amount of people that are in the Los Angeles metropolitan area, uh, area compared to something like six States in the Midwest, you know, but those six States in the Midwest have much more sway than the 20 million people, you know, around LA. Um, it's like, you know, what does that, what does democracy mean to someone in Allendale, South Carolina, who, you know, quote, their vote doesn't count. So it's, it's no matter like how much I show up and vote, even if for, you know, local people, like it, it's, it's not going to translate into something because I, I mean, our, our district here, I'm, I'm represented by Joe Wilson, the guy who famously shouted, you lied. Right. But you that's lied. new as of six years ago because of the 2010 elections. Um, I was formerly represented by Jim Clyburn, which is much more, uh, you know, like our little part, but like Joe Wilson's uh, territory kind of comes up the, the interstate and loops around our neighborhood and brings us in. And it's like, wh- why did we have to change uh representative? Because uh, there's a new election like that's, you know, it looks like a snail now. Like it's weird. And, and he represents a total, totally different part of South Carolina than, uh, the, the part of South Carolina that we're in, um, you know, little things like that, that, that kind of take you out of it. So it's like, well, yeah, l- you know, sure. Let's, let's all, you know, rally around democracy, but if we show up and vote, that's not enough. Right. And, and, and I think you're, I think right now that's right. Um, but that's the minimum, right? If you don't do that, then you're clearly not going to do anything else that it takes. And so I think that's the minimum. You still got to show up and vote. And then I think that you got to vote in people that are going to do the hard work of changing the system because that's what needs to happen because there are a number there, are, you know, yes, a lot of people that are continuously disenfranchised. And I think we need to do everything that we can to make sure to re-enfranchise them. You know, I think that we need to get rid of the rules that say that even if, you know, if you had a felony conviction, even after you served your time, you don't get to vote again. Because I, I think that that um, continues to disenfranchise a lot of people and it um, disproportionately disenfranchises people of color because our criminal justice system disproportionately um, rakes in people of color, right? Um so yes, we have to change those systems. We have to, you know, Eric Holder is you know kind of part of a group or leading a group now to focus on redistricting efforts in 2020. That's all well and good, but we've got to um, figure out how to do that in a way that neither party is going to try to win through um, gerrymandered districts. All right. It's not any better if a Democrat gets to gerrymander a district than it is if a Republican gets to gerrymander a district. Um, and I think that, yes, on the national level, maybe one of the things that we need to look at is doing away with or um, uh, you know, reconstituting or, or changing the way that we handle the Electoral College. Because that's absolutely right that the way the system is now, lower population states uh, in the Midwest get um, – relatively 
um, speaking uh, more than their fair say in the Electoral College. And I, you know, that's not right. We need to change that. Again, if we really believe in democracy, we got to do the hard work of actually you know, trying to have a democracy. And we have to do the hard work of trying to make sure that everyone can vote and that their vote counts when they do, right? So that we don't have people in, you know, uh, Mullen, South Carolina, or in Tallahassee, Florida, saying, well, I'm not going to vote because it's not going to matter anyway. All right. I mean, we're the, you know, largest, richest country on, you know, on the planet. And what can we muster? Like, 35 percent right. turnout for a presidential election i mean it's it it's it embarrassing it's always been honestly. that way but it, it's really embarrassing um, now when we have right. someone in office who has a you know uh approval rating in the 30s and who uh wasn't elected by a popular majority but right and that's the system that we have now and and all right you you know Play by the rules, win by the rules, lose by the rules. But the thing is, if you want to change the system, you got to play by the rules until you can change the system. So if you want to do that, you have to win by the rules as they're currently written, which is, which means you don't have to win the popular vote. You have to win the electoral college, right? So, but that's not to say that that's the best system. But it's, so like uh, Peer Research just tweeted out, the percentage of Americans who say government should support religious values and beliefs, 32%. And the percentage of Americans who say it's very important to be Christian, to be truly American, also 32%. So it goes back to that idea that there's always a 30% kind of, I'm not going to say French, but a 30%, um, you know, group uh, of, of people in a poll that, that are going to go this particular route, whether it's right or left or middle, you know, whatever. Um, and it's the 10% in the middle that, that, you know, really are, are the, the votes you want to get if you want to win. Um, and that, that just all seems to ch have changed so much in the last 10 years. But I don't know. I, I think it's fascinating to to look at that on a, on a national and local scale. Right. But if we had things like, if we had things like automatic voter registration and, you know, uh, national voting days were national holidays and things like, if we had things like that, um, then we would change that not, calculation completely. <laughs> right, if we had 80 yeah. or 90 yeah. percent um, turnout, right? If we re-enfranchised people, um, you know, gave them the right to vote back, if we took down these barriers, a lot of which are just functioning as modern, um, you know, iterations of Jim Crow, uh, if we take down some of these barriers and do everything we can to make sure that every person votes, um, then then that calculus or, or, completely changes. Yeah. And, and and then you change you change the calculus in primaries as well, right? So it's not let me get as far left or as far right as I can to make sure I win this primary because I only care about talking to my base because right. they're the ones going to vote me in. Um, but instead, it becomes like, oh, actually, maybe we should talk to everyone, right? And actually do the opposite of what Trump is, has done for the first year in office, which is actually try to serve all of your constituents, right? Because Trump has shown time and time again he does not believe that he's president of the United States. He is president of his base. And that's the only group that he continuously cares about. Um, and, and that's, that's embarrassing and it's not how the system, um, should be right. But, but we have a system that is set up that lends itself toward that right on the national level and on the local level. And, but if we, um, 
can change that calculus by um, increasing the you know turnout for every single election, for midterm elections, for local elections, for voting for um, you know your property appraiser, your county commission, yeah, the your city council, to the president. Um, for your yeah, for your dog catcher, for your mosquito yeah. control man, of district two, or whatever, all these things, um, then you completely change the calculus, right? And I think that's I think that's part of what we need to um, to change what you're talking about, and and then and that is part again of how you rebuild trust in the institution when people really begin to believe that their vote counts and their voice matters, and until then, you're not going to do it. I love it. I would normally cut off there, but I think we need a proper send off. But you said it. I mean, that's tell tell us what you think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's got to start at home, you know. It's got to start locally, and uh, it's got to have it's got to have people that care, not people telling you what to do or who to vote for. Like, stop stop reading pamphlets and go out and, and get your ass into the into the streets and figure this out. Do the hard work and do the hard work, right? I mean, this is hard work, and and this is hard work for voters, right? We had a professor in Div School um, who modeled this very well, and he had you know issues that he cared about. He wasn't a one issue voter by any means, but he had a number of issues he cared about, and he wanted to be an informed voter. And so, what he did is he went to politicians' websites, and there are a lot of things to aggregate this stuff now that makes it helpful. And he would look for things and he would make notes and things that he didn't find on their website or on some other website, you know, some information he couldn't find online, he would call and he would ask, you know, if it was them that answered or if it was a staffer that answered. And he would do the hard work to try to get the answer for the questions that he had to make an informed decision about who he was going to vote for, for every single office that he voted for. All right. It's hard work and it takes time. But you know, there needs to be some give and take, right? You need to have the politicians on one hand doing what they can to rebuild trust and things we've talked about. But you also have, you know, voters need to take the responsibility themselves too and not just vote for somebody because they have a certain letter next to their name, right? Or not just vote for them because of the first one at the top of the ballot because, you know, their last name begins with um, an H instead of a W or something like that, Um Yes, that's me telling you to vote for Whitley and not Harrelson. Um, right, but you know what I'm saying? Like, don't take the easy way out, which is what so many people do, right? And and so, I mean, I I don't know. I just think that, yes, uh, this is hard work for everybody. Yeah, uh, constitutioncenter.org right? website. I, I know it's an apocryphal story, but it says if, if there's a lesson in, in all of that is that our constitution is neither a self-actuating nor a self-correcting document it requires the constant attention and devotion of all citizens. There's a story often told that upon exiting the Constitutional Convention, Benjamin Franklin was approached by a group of citizens asking what sort of government the delegates had created. Side note, I know this is apocryphal. Email Thomas. His answer was a republic a good story. if you can keep it. If you can keep it. It's, but it's so good. I mean, whether it's true or uh, not. right? Uh, it does, or, or, okay. Whether he said it or not. Whether he said it or not doesn't mean or it doesn't make it not true. It's true because it's in Luke. It's, it's true. true it's definitely it's true. In our national, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, truth is what you aspire to, you know, but truth is also what you ascribe to, and uh, you know, it's true because it's in Matthew. It's true because it's in Luke, and and I think that's a true statement that Ben Franklin would go along with, based on what I know about Ben Franklin, because 
you know, he, he was a badass. I mean, yeah, right. It takes work um, from everyone. And, but the you know part of the problem that we have now is yes, voters need to take responsibility. But honestly, it's kind of hard to say uh, you need to take responsibility. You know, we need to take responsibility when people look at the exactly. systems that we have now, right? Look at the instances that we have now. It's kind of hard and to it's not because say of, that you need to invest. In it's this. not you uh, know, and lazy. I, and I get that. Liberal Democrats. It's not lazy. Republican, thoughtless. You know, people who uh, you know voted for Trump, whatever. Like it's all of us. We all need to. Be local and, and get active and run for office. And then we need to get and well, then we need to get you know, money out of politics. Money money is the, the grease that, that greases the wheels. Um, before we leave, I just want to say there's a, a podcast called Church Over Coffee. And one of our uh, friends of the show, Bryson Smith, was on the newest episode. There's a link down in the show notes. It's a, it's a fun podcast. And those guys do a great show. They're on episode nine now. And it's a little more, I'm not going to say confessional. I, I listened to a couple of episodes, but it's a good show. Uh, go listen to Church Over for Coffee with Bryson Smith. Uh, he, he's a fun listen. And, uh, you know, Bryson, you did a great job. Hope you're listening to our show as well. And I uh, just want to throw that out there because I know those those guys are, are fans of us and, and wanted to reciprocate as we do. Thinking, thinking Lectionary. It's hard work in this space, right? Patreon.com. <laughs> <clears throat> um, if, if you want to contribute stay some tuned. postbardian uh, communist mm-hmm. text just uh, you know you, you got our hotline bling and that can only mean one thing right yeah it's just I'm just laughing at how many parts of our show are for like an audience <laughs> of one it's not always the same one but it's like every now like it's like okay that's for one particular listener and if oh, you no, listen that's for you that particular that's a fun part. so if you listen long enough you can spot it um and um and and you can become one of those listeners by uh, getting to Patreon. know us and letting us get get to know you uh, the best way to do that is <laughs> with your money um no, but also on twitter obviously um sam is at sam harrelson i'm at thomas whitley you can always find this great podcast at thinking.fm